I'm James Brian Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. You're listening to episode 30. If you missed the pilot episode or this is your first time listening, this is a podcast for what we call Mind Discipleship. It's a podcast for those who want to learn how to set their minds and hearts on things above, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. From time to time, we have things above conversations where I have a guest come in and we talk about things and hopefully have some good heavenly thoughts in them as well. And today is one of those episodes. My guest today is Brian Zahn. Brian's a pastor who lives in St. Joseph, Missouri. He's the author of many fine books. I would recommend Beauty Will Save the World and Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. He is a wonderful, insightful teacher and preacher. And Brian appeared on this podcast previously, and it was so good we wanted to have him back. I hope you enjoy this Things Above conversation with the always insightful Brian Zond. Brian, it is great to have you back. Good to be back, Jim. Thank you. Well, I said in episode 10, where we first uh, had you, um, that you and I have a lot in common. And uh, one one is um, our the importance of beauty in our life of faith. And I can tell you that, gosh, that was not a part of my Christian life for many, many years. It was about 10 years ago, I started reading Hans Urs von Balthasar. And that, I love that guy. Oh, my gosh. He's amazing. He, for those he is, who don't know. He's hard to read, but I, I love him anyway. <laughs> he's in the Dallas category of hard to read. Yeah. So Hans Urs von Balthasar, 20th century Catholic uh, Swiss theologian. Um, but he he wrote a 15-volume set on what are the transcendentals of beauty, goodness, and truth. And I'd never really thought about those three things in light of my faith. And I thought, this guy's writing. The whole faith is based on on that. Of course, it's a, right. it's a platonic idea. But Brian, tell me. Uh, how did you come into your appreciation of, of beauty and its importance in your faith? Well, you know, I think, I think when I went through my, what I call my water to wine transformation, part of what was happening was I was becoming my true self. Soren Kierkegaard had a prayer or at least a, a statement. He would say, now by the help of God, I shall become myself. And I think, you know, I understand that. I, I understand that what Jesus is saving is me, not part of me for a different place, but, but Christ is at work to, to redeem me. And, you know, I encountered Jesus as a teenager, became a, a committed follower, was almost immediately in leadership, and I've spent my entire adult life trying to lead people into following Jesus. But I was also led down a path of, Americanized evangelicalism that really led me out of my true self because Jim ultimately I think I am an what is the word aesthetic I mean I, I love the aesthetics I I'm drawn to beauty music and art are huge influences in my life and so I think I already had a natural instinct for that and I think it really was from reading both Hansers von Balthasar and David Bentley Hart that awakened me that I could have a legitimate approach to the Christian faith, interpreting it and expressing it through beauty, as well as the other two, what I call prime virtues, truth and goodness. 
So out of, out of the prime virtues of truth and goodness, we have, in the Christian context, we have Christian apologetics, the defense of the true, and Christian ethics, a definition of what is truly the good. And, and the church has a long history in that. Uh, but with Christian aesthetics, the church has been a hit and miss. There's been times when the church has been strong in that, but I think in the more modern period, we have succumbed to the wider cultural pressure to view, to view beauty as little more than mere adornment. But here's the, here's the present situation we're in. Now, I, I do, I embrace the idea that uh, of ultimate truth found in Christ and also ultimate goodness is expressed in the life of Christ. I, I absolutely hold to that. But I also want to acknowledge the fact that we live at a time when the wider culture is deeply suspicious of our claim to absolute truth and a superior moral ethic. And perhaps for some good reasons, they're suspicious of our claims about that. In other words, if our if our evangelistic presence in the world today is more or less, hey, everybody, uh, we know the truth and we know what's good for you and we meet at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings, that may not be particularly winsome. But that leaves this third virtue, that is beauty. And Cervantes, the, the author of Don Quixote, he said, it is the prerogative and charm of beauty to win hearts. Beauty has the capacity to sneak past our defenses. And so if you're talking to the average uh, secularist in America today, uh, they already have their arguments against Christian truth and Christian ethics. But beauty has a way of sneaking past all of that. So I, I I think I was always drawn in that direction. I just didn't know I had permission to go there. And once I found permission to understand Christian faith in terms of beauty, well, then I was off to the races. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, some of our the listeners may not, you know, have much of a background in, in aesthetics or even like I was many years ago, unaware of its role. But how about if we just go with, uh, let's start with Aquinas' definition of beauty, which is, I think, the shortest one, which is beauty is that which when seen pleases. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's succinct, you know, uh, I think it's limited, but, uh, how do you define beauty? Well, here's the, here's the thing, you know, we've both written books on beauty and in writing beauty will save the world. I was, I was alerted to the fact that we have relatively few synonyms for beauty. Uh, we just kind of have to default to that word. And then if you try to define it, it's a very difficult word to define. I can't remember what the standard uh, dictionary definition of beauty is. If you look it up, you'll read it and you'll go, yeah, true enough. But I think any attempt at definition leaves us uh, not completely satisfied. We may not disagree with it, but we'll say, yeah, but that really doesn't capture it. So we're talking about a concept that I think all of us, quite literally all of us are capable of recognizing, and yet we find very difficult to come up with a definition for. I'll say this much. Whatever beauty, however you define it, it has to do with form. So that whether it's a poem or a song 
or a sculpture, a painting. It has to beauty is 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 identified by the form. That is, think about a, a poem achieves or fails to achieve beauty by the form that the words take on, the arrangement, the the rhyme, the meter, the rhythm, that sort of thing. A painting is a is a arrangement, the form of colors. Uh, sculpture is quite literally, you know, the form. So we are attempting to um, recognize that there are forms of beauty. Now, if we're going to talk about Christian aesthetics, that should very quickly bring us to the point where we go, okay, well, what is the form of Christian beauty? And I have an answer for that. The answer is the cruciform. That is Christ crucified. That is Christ upon the cross. But immediately we're thrust into a deep paradox. Because on one level, of course, the crucifixion is hideous, repulsive, ghastly, and ugly. For example, if we had a journalistic photograph of Golgotha on Good Friday, A.D. 30, uh, we might look at it once, regret we had, and never look at it again. Yet, all over the world, you can go in art galleries or you can go in churches, and you will find depictions of Christ crucified that I think most people would say, that's beautiful. Even though it's, at one level, it's depicting a human being uh, being tortured to death by being nailed to a cross. And yet we see, yet the artists have been able to depict it in such a way that it does have aesthetic merit and value, and we call it beautiful. Now, for a long time, I would have pressed against that. I would have said, no, I said the artist didn't get it right. Um, they've made something beautiful out of that which was ugly. But it wasn't the artist that was at fault. It was my thinking that was limited. Because the role of the artist is to alert us to beauty that we may possibly have overlooked. So think about Van Gogh's Starry Night. I think most people are familiar with that painting with the swirls of stars in the night sky. Now, if you look at that, you'll say, oh, yeah, Van Gogh's Starry Night is beautiful. And then if I ask you, does Van Gogh's Starry Night look like a starry night? And you'll say, no, except yes. No, it doesn't literally look like that. But what Van Gogh is doing is saying, hey, wake up. Beauty is all around you. For example, the stars at night should fill your soul with wonder and awe. What you see on Van Gogh's canvas, that he, the painting that he calls Starry Night, is what should be occurring in your soul when you look at a starry night. Well, the artists that depict Calvary in terms of beauty are doing something very similar. Now, let me quote Hans Urs von Balthasar. And this is yes. probably my all-time favorite theological sentence. Balthazar says, being disguised under the disfigurement of an ugly crucifixion and death, Christ upon the cross is paradoxically the clearest revelation of who God is. So there there is an ugliness there. There is a distortion there. There is the violent uh, execution of an innocent man that's ugly. And yet the beauty is there too, because how does God respond? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that's beauty. So the the beauty that saves the world 
is captured there at Calvary where the world sends its sins violently into the body of the Son of God and the Son of God absorbs them and recycles it into nothing but love, mercy, and forgiveness. And that's beautiful. So I think the question we perhaps should be asking ourselves as the church today in this present context is, uh, do our sermons, our churches, our activities, our evangelizing, our programs, etc., do they conform to the cruciform, the beauty of the cross? I'm afraid that too often, and this is especially true of the American evangelical uh, church in the present moment, we have presented to the world the, the furrowed brow of anger, the clenched fist of protest, the wagging finger of shame and moralism, instead of imitating Christ upon the cross with arms outstretched and offered embrace, saying, Father, forgive them. Um, yeah, I could go on and on about beauty. I think, I think it really is the way for us to approach um, the proclamation of the gospel in an increasingly secular society. That's, I, you know, I think a part of my Christian journey early on was... Um, a real skepticism toward beauty as if it was an, a, an alluring thing that would, you know, pull me away um, the evils of, of that. And that, uh, and, and so when it came to trying to figure out how do I understand beauty as integral to my life with God, I had to, I had to let go of some old narratives about mm-hmm. beauty being, being this alluring thing towards sin. Um, but, you know, back to the Aquinas quote, beauty is that which when seen pleases. Uh, I, I believe beauty is experienced by all the senses, and you mentioned uh, music, and 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 I, you know, every one of the five senses does connect with beauty. So my personal definition of beauty is that which, when encountered, pleases. Mm-hmm. Um, and because there's so many ways, and right. uh, that's it's been my journey in the last several years to, uh, like I said, it's changed everything. I mean, I, every everywhere I go, everything I see and do. I am I am allowing the beauty all around me to be um, a way that God loves me, and that's so that's changed everything. Yeah, Dostoevsky said something that a lot of people disagree with. I think most people disagree with. Um, a lot of my friends that are thoughtful people disagree with, but I agree with. Dostoevsky said, "If it should be proven to me conclusively." that Christ is outside the truth and the truth is outside of Christ, I would rather be with Christ than with the truth. Now, Simone Weil hated that, and, and she, she argued with Dostoevsky. So there's plenty of very you know, powerful Christian thinkers that will disagree with that. But when it comes down to it, I agree with Dostoevsky, but let me explain by what I mean. Neither Dostoevsky nor I think that Christ is outside the truth. But what we are saying is, I think I may have a better capacity for discerning perfect beauty than for discerning perfect truth. And if I will follow my instinct of beauty, I think that is as reliable a guide to guide to lead me to truth than, if, than trying to just pick up the truth trail on my own. There are some things that are too good to be true, but there are some. But th- there might be one thing that is so good that it cannot not be true. And the beauty of Christ is, in my mind, too beautiful 
not to be truth. Um, Absolutely. It's Christ's beauty that has really captured my heart. I I tell people I'm an incorrigible Christian because of Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to die a Christian. You're never going to talk me out of 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 being a Christian. Not because, though, uh, I have you know, come up with all the apologetics and I can defend, you know, I've got the perfect theodicy and I can, I can answer all of the challenges. No, that's not why I know I'm going to be a Christian all of my life. It's because of the beauty of Jesus. That beauty has just won my heart. And I, and so if you all come to me someday and prove to me conclusively that Christ is outside the truth and truth is outside the Christ, doesn't matter to me. I'm staying with Jesus because it's so beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. The beauty of, well, Balthazar talked the beauty of the Christ form, obviously the cross being the highest example, but really everything Jesus says and does, his actions, his words. And everybody um, knows this. Yeah. Uh, you, you, now, so, so, so think about it. Uh, if we want to find uh, strident, articulate critics of Christianity, what I mean, you know, they're legion. <laughs> they're everywhere. And you, you, they're not hard to find. I mean, their books will populate entire bookstores. But who comes across as credible in a sustained critique of the person, Jesus Christ? Nobody even attempts that. Nietzsche yeah. kind of tried, but couldn't sustain it. And he would, he would try to criticize Jesus directly and then end up saying, no, I admire him. Um, you know, we, we Christians speak of Jesus as judging the world, and we, we hold to a final judgment, but Jesus is already judging the world, and everybody knows it. What do I mean by that? I mean, everybody knows that Jesus is the perfect life, that ultimately, what does a good life look like? It looks like the kind of life that Jesus lived, and everybody already knows that. Now, many people may not aspire to it, Many people may not say, I really want to live that life, but you don't find people who say Jesus lived a bad life. No one says that. Absolutely. No, that's right. So, you know, I'm wondering if if you would comment on this one. This is one that I get a lot from people since I've been doing work on beauty. And and sometimes it's just super dismissive when I talk, you know, talk about beauty and they'll say, yeah, but beauty's just in the eye of the beholder. Oh, yeah, I don't believe that. I don't either. <laughs> I, I mean, th- there is some range of taste. I, right. Yes. But if you're going to tell me that, you know, I don't know what, that Cannonball Run 3, <laughs> which I have never seen, Please. okay, but I can imagine. Cannonball 3 is as good a film as The Tree of Life. I'm going to say, no, this is not, this, you, you're not telling me something about film, you're telling me something about you. You're telling me that you have not yet refined your capacity to have serious taste when it comes to the cinema. Um, I don't know how to explain all this. There's, I mean, um, I mean, you can have debates on who's the greater composer, Mozart or Beethoven, but, um, but it's 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 those guys and people like that. I mean, there's a reason why certain books become classics, why films become classics, why yeah. someone says it's it's why we have um, 
It's why the church has saints. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not Catholic. I'm not Orthodox, so don't overdo this. I'm not claiming all of that. But I'm just saying there are certain people that we need to say, now that's how you do it. Mm. That's how you do it. Think about, you know, I'm, I'm from the Kansas City area, so I grew up a Royals fan. And really my, you know, the, the, uh, athletic, the athlete of my youth that most inspired me was George Brett. Right. And George Brett, my goodness, what a beautiful swing. He looked good striking out. You know, I mean, I mean, he had such a perfect swing. And so what you what you do is you put someone like that in the Hall of Fame. And then you say, "Okay, kids, that's how you swing a baseball bat. You do it like that. Um, So, no, it's not just a matter of taste. Um, Yeah, I I say the same thing. And exactly what you said in terms of I mean, like I can't tolerate a lot of bagpipe music. I just my 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 capacity for bagpipe music is is under five minutes. At the five minute mark, I'm done, and and yet there are people who can listen to that all the time. So I think there's a measure of subjectivity in beauty, but you know this is where Balthazar was so clear that, and you said it earlier, that there is such a thing as a form, and that's why everybody who looks at a rose, everybody who looks at a sunset, um, they all react to it as wow, that's beautiful. And and that's why I say, you know, beauty is there's an objective beauty. And because uh, I think that that line, it's in the eye of the beholder, in a way, just dismisses beauty as unimportant. But if you see it as objective, it becomes very important. It means that there's well, for me as a believer, it means there's a God who created a well, world. Okay, full yeah, of it. That's the point that there is a, there is a there is room for taste. And so two music critics could have a debate about whether it's Mozart or Beethoven. And we can maybe listen with interest. And we would go, you know, I'm not sure which side I'm on. But that's not the same as saying that uh, some guy that writes jingles for uh, television commercials is equal to Beethoven. Because this is not. I mean, and I think there seems to be almost a kind of nihilism lurking behind that. Where, where, where nothing is to be believed, nothing is coherent. Uh, I think that's a dangerous path to go down. I think it's a little bit of the radical egalitarian idea that that every opinion is of equal worth. And no, that's I don't. I you know you 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 operate in an academic institution, and you want to teach young people to think you want them to have certain opinions and be able to work out problems on their own but you don't let them grade their own papers <laughs> right there are some standards there are some things to learn and um i have i have some russian friends who are artists and um they've been to art school they are artists themselves they're well trained they're classically trained and they'll take me to, you know, the great Russian art galleries in St. Petersburg, especially the Hermitage. And they will teach me to appreciate um, art in a way that left to my own, I would never, I, I might look and go, that's beautiful. I like that. But they'll say, no, no, no. Do you see what's going on here? And what's good? Or, or I remember being with one of them and looking at a Van Gogh. This is an early Van Gogh. And my friend uh, Dimitri saying, do you see what's wrong with it? I said, what? 
yeah, there's something. And, and he actually showed me. This was early in, in Van Gogh's career. And really, there was, this, it wasn't a perfect painting. There were some flaws in it with perspective and some things like that. And I thought, oh, this, I realized that he looks at art different than I do. That he is bothered to do the hard work, to actually be trained. And so that my opinion, I can have my taste, but my, my taste and my opinion are not of the same caliber as his. I think that's important. I mean, don't we do that in every other venture of life? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. aren't there others that, um, uh, but I think it's, it's part of the, I think it's part of what is wrong with our culture is that we are not, oh, watch this. We're not willing to be apprentices. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I do nah. like that one. But seriously, I mean, an a, a apprentice assumes that there's a master somewhere. Yeah. And, and we don't necessarily always just jump to it being Jesus in one fell swoop. I mean, there might be some, you know, uh, you know, again, we, we, we've talked several times about Dallas Willard, uh, who was someone who had learned to look at life and at Jesus and at the Christian faith in a way that we have come to believe was very insightful. And so we are willing to learn from him. Uh, people that don't want to be an apprentice of of anyone, um, well, what are they ever going to be good at? Hmm. Yeah, I'd never made that connection, but that's absolutely right. We know there's a standard because we we aspire yeah. to something higher. That's 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 great. That's, you know, that's where the guilds came from. You know, in the Middle Ages, and we're going to teach you how to do your craft well. Uh, I, I think we could do with some more of that kind of approach. Mm, that's good. Well, you mentioned poetry early, so I'm going to, as we're winding down, I'm going to give you what may be my favorite poem. Mm, great. Are you ready, Brian? Yeah, I'm ready. It's short, seven words. Mary Oliver poem. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. <laughs> it's good. It's good, isn't it? That's good, Pay Brian. Is, oh, Be astonished. Tell, tell about it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the brevity. It, it, it fires me up. And that's what it is. Pay attention. You know, we've got to see the beauty all around us and, and, and then realize that it's not ultimate. It isn't beauty to be worshipped, but it's penultimate. It's, I see that beautiful sunset, and I, I, I ought to say, thank you, God. Right. <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I think there's a line in uh, The Color Purple, which I'll have to cuss if I tell the exact line. But uh, there's a character walking through the field and, and sees the color purple on some flowers and says, I think if people notice the color purple, and don't thank God, it, it well, it ticks them off. Right. <laughs> I think I love that line, like that God would be going, hey, I made some, look at that purple, and you just walk well, by. I've, I've tried to engage in that as a form of spiritual discipline, a spiritual practice, is I will intentionally go for walks. And sometimes, you know, if I can, I will choose a particularly beautiful place. But sometimes it's, it's just, you know, wherever I happen to be, and I will say, okay, for the next 10, 15 minutes, I am going to be cognizant of where I encounter beauty. And every time I see it, I'm going to acknowledge there's mm. something beautiful. I'm going to describe it and say, thank you, God. And that is a, a great really practice. Good practice. Yeah. Mm. I did it for a while just driving to church. I mean, it takes me about 12 minutes to drive from my house to my church, a drive that I make every day. And for a while, I just said, okay, I'm going to just, I'm going to, I'm going to be alert 
how's the poem going? Be alert. Pay attention. Yeah, pay, pay attention. Be uh, astonished. <laughs> pay attention. What, what is, I forgot it already. <laughs> be, be astonished. Be astonished. Tell about it. And so that's what I was doing. I was paying attention. And it, sometimes it would be just a formation of a cloud. It might be a particular tree somewhere. It could be, I don't know, it could be someone walking their dog, that just something about the right that moment. And I, I think that's a good practice to cultivate, to being aware of beauty, and then, and then turning it into worship by thanking God for it. Amen. Amen. Brian, it has been uh, fantastic well, as usual. You. Anytime I get Brian time, I'm a better guy. So thank you for, for being on the Things Above podcast, man. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks again to Brian Zahn for joining me on this episode. It was wonderful as usual. I hope you join me next week for episode 31. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast at apprenticeinstitute.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, and you can also subscribe, which means you'll get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, hey, what's on your mind, your answer will be things above. <laughs>